I want to talk to you today about being a believer instead of a doubter. Now, a believer, very simply, is someone who believes and trusts in God no matter what happens in life. A doubter, on the other hand, is also can be a believer, but a doubter, when the bottom falls out in life, is not quite sure where God is, what God's up to, if God's Word can be trusted if God is good, if, if God is still in control. The illustration that I was taught when I was studying years ago the word doubt, if you'll use your imagination and Im- imagine a man walking down a bank going out towards a lake. And when he gets to the water, he notices there are these two boats right next to each other. And so he can't decide which boat to get into. And he thinks, well, I'd really like to be in both boats. And so he puts one foot in this boat And he puts another foot in that boat, and then he pushes himself out to the lake, and of course he does the splits and falls down. The doubter can't decide whether to go with trusting God or whether questioning God, so the doubter's just not quite sure which way to go. Now, the interesting thing about doubt is simply this. It is possible to be a believer and still have doubt doubts and still have questions and still not be sure uh, about God and whether or not God's in control. Now, this morning, in just a few minutes, we're going to be studying about the most famous doubter in all the Bible, and that is Thomas, one of the disciples. In fact, he's even known as Doubting Thomas. But before we get into what Thomas was doubting, I want to just give you a list. If you like to jot things down. This would be something you might want to write down or just listen. But these are some things that we tend to doubt in our own life when the bottom falls out and when things don't make sense to us. First of all, we often doubt God's promises. I think of that promise in Philippians chapter 4 in verse 19 where it says that my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now, if I were to preach a sermon on that today, God's going to meet all your need. You would nod your head. You would say amen. You believe God's going to meet your needs. And yet sometimes we get out there in life and we wonder, is God really going to meet this need for me and for my family at this time? Also, I think of 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9. When Jesus said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Now, we believe that God's grace is sufficient. We believe all that. But we get out there in life, sometimes we wonder, is God's grace really going to be sufficient and enough for me with what I'm going through at this time? Am I going to be okay? So sometimes we doubt God's promises. Sometimes we doubt God's providence. That word providence just means that God can see in advance everything that's going to happen, and God is very much in control of every aspect of our lives. It says in Psalm 103 in verse 19 that God has established His throne in the heavens, and His sovereignty rules over all. So if I were to preach a whole sermon today, God's in control, you can always trust Him. You would nod your head and say amen. Yes, God's in control. And yet sometimes out there in the battles of life, we wonder, is God really in control now? If God is good and if God loves me, how could He have allowed this into my life? We think about Romans eight twenty eight. God causes all things to work together for good. Yes, we believe that. But don't we sometimes wonder, how is God going to bring good out of what I'm going through right now in my life? And so sometimes we doubt God's providence. Sometimes we doubt God's plan. 
You know, the scripture clearly teaches God has a plan. Jeremiah 29, 11, God said, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. So God has a plan for our future. And yet sometimes out there in life, we go through things, we say, God, how could what I'm going through now be part of your plan? How could you take this and work this into your plan? God, how could you bring anything good out of this? And so sometimes we doubt God's plan, and then sometimes we doubt God's presence, All through the scriptures we read where God has said, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. We believe that in our minds, and yet sometimes in life we feel lonely, we feel abandoned, we feel rejected, we feel isolated, we feel confused, we don't feel God's presence, we pray, God seems a thousand miles away, we come to church, maybe we don't feel anything. And so in our minds there's this doubt. One of, it's like one of our feet says, yes, God is with me, but another one of our feet, the other foot we put over in this other boat, the boat of doubt, and we say, say, I'm not sure if God's really with me or not at this time in my life. And so today, I want us to think about doubt and how we can turn those question marks in our minds into periods and exclamation points so that we won't live our lives with doubt. Now, having said that, would you open your Bibles, please, to the Gospel of John in chapter number 11. And again, we're going to be studying about doubting Thomas. His main doubt was he doubted that Jesus had risen from the dead. That was his problem. That was his question. And so many times when we think about doubt, it's always negative. And let me say this, that doubt in and of itself is a bad thing. And God does not want us to be doubters. God wants us to be believers. And yet sometimes we do go through a process of doubt that if we will respond properly to that, and even in our doubt, if we will pursue God, pursue faith, and try to come out of our doubt, we can actually come out of doubt stronger than we might have been even without the doubt. So I'm not saying that doubt is good. Doubt is bad. And you're listening to someone who has had his share of doubts through the years. I've never had a lot of good happen while I was doubting. But as God has brought me through my doubts, I have grown and God has taught me some great things. But I want to just make three observations about Thomas and doubters in general. Maybe today you have come to this service and you're doubting something about God, God's presence, God's plan in your life. First of all, let me say this. Doubters are often very passionate people. In other words, we only tend to doubt those things we care about. Some people have never doubted God. They've never doubted very much at all. But the truth is they're not passionate about God. God's not that big a deal. So if we really care about something, that would make us a little more prone to doubting. In John chapter 11, let me show you this with Thomas in verse number 7. Look what it says. It says, Then after this, Jesus said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you, and are you going there again? In other words, they're saying, Jesus, the last time we went to Judea, that's where Jerusalem is, the people tried to kill you, and now you want to go back? And boy, they were afraid. Look in verse 16. Then Thomas, who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. And so, yes, doubting Thomas, he was a doubter, but here we see passion, fire, zeal in this man's heart. He said, I'm ready to go to Judea even if it costs me my life. So doubters are often very passionate about the things of God. Not only that, doubters are often very spiritually minded. 
In, in fact, there's something about being spiritually minded, very sensitive to the things of God, that might put you at a greater risk of being a doubter than if you didn't have those, uh, that sensitivity. Go to chapter number 14. This is a familiar passage. Jesus has been teaching about heaven. This is where he said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Then he said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. I'll receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Now look down in verse, uh, and then he said in verse 4, where I go, you know, and the way you know. Now look at verse 5. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going So how can we know the way? So when Jesus said to the disciples, where I go, you know, and the way, you know, Thomas said to himself, now, wait a second, I don't know where you're going. And if I don't know where you're going, how can I know how to get there? Thomas was one of those people that was so spiritually minded, if he heard something, then he had questions about it. He couldn't just gloss over that and play like those questions didn't exist. And so doubters... If you're here today doubting, maybe you're doubting your salvation. That's not a good thing. That's a bad thing. And I hope in this sermon to help lead you out of doubt and into faith. But what I'm saying is if you're doubting salvation or if you're doubting God's plan or something about what God is allowing you to go through at this time in your life, if you will be honest with God and honest with your doubts, He will bring you through that. And that's the third thing I would say. Doubters are often very honest about their doubts. And now let's go to John chapter 20 because this is where we read about uh, Thomas and here's where he gets into his, his real doubts. This is Easter Sunday, by the way. We have studied the resurrection. Last week we studied about Mary Magdalene and how Jesus deals with sadness in our life. Today we're thinking about how Jesus deals with doubt. Now look in verse 19. This happened on the very first Easter Sunday night. And let's read what it says. It says, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. Now let's think about this. The disciples have watched Jesus be crucified, and they're thinking to themselves, If they have killed our leader... What are they going to do to us? And so they go into a room, they close the door, they lock the door, and they're very afraid. Jesus walks right through that closed door, and he says, peace be with you. Verse 20, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them. And said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Now look down in verse 24. Now Thomas called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. So he said to them, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. See, this tells us here that faith is a choice, and so is doubt, so is unbelief. He said, I refuse to believe unless I can see with my eyes the nail prints in Jesus' hands. Now, these doubts that Thomas was, ha- was having, uh, they, were, they were bad. It was not good to be having those doubts, and yet he was honest about them. I read this quote preparing the sermon from a, a 
New Testament scholar named William Barclay. And Barclay said this, talking about doubters, and this should be very encouraging to anyone here today who might be doubting whether God can heal your body or provide for your family or do something that you need in your life. Listen to what he said. There's more ultimate faith in the man who insists on being sure than in the man who glibly repeats things which he has never thought out and which he may not really believe. It is doubt like that which in the end arrives at it, that arrives at certainty. And so Thomas had these doubts. He had these questions. He wasn't sure that he had seen Jesus. And he said to himself, I can't play like I'm sure. I can't play like I believe in the resurrection if I don't know that Jesus has risen from the dead. So that part of Thomas's doubts, it was good. It was good for him to insist on knowing for sure. What was bad was he insisted on knowing in his own terms. In other words, he was saying, I've got to know for sure, and the only way that I can know for sure is if I see the nail prints in his hands. And if I can see those nail prints, then I will know for sure. It would have been much better for Thomas to have said, I've got to know for sure. I mean, think about the Scripture even says we should make our calling and election sure. Be sure, be sure, be sure. It's good to be sure. But it's not good when we say to God, God, the only way that I can be sure is if I can see with my eyes what you're doing in my life. You see, none of us have seen Jesus. None of us have. And yet we believe in him. And none of us can always see what God is doing in our lives. And yet he has called on us and he asked us to trust him. Let me use this illustration, talking about the demand to see. Let's just play like after the service is over with this morning, before we all scatter out of here. My dad comes up to me and he says, John, I was thinking about you on the way to church today. And I have put on your desk 10 $100 bills, $1,000 on your desk. And I just want you to have it and go out and buy something for yourself this week. Now, here's the question. How do I know that there are $1,000 on my desk? Well, there are two ways that I could know. One would be, as soon as he told me that, for me to rush out this room, up that, out this room, through that door, back to my office, and see $1,000 on my desk. And I'd say, now I see it, and I know it's there. The other way that I could know, I would just say to myself, you know what? If my earthly father, who has said to me, there, are a thousand, there, are, there is a thousand dollars on your desk, if he has said that to me, I'm going to just take him at his word and believe that it's there. Dad, if you'll do that after the service, I'll preach better tonight. I'll preach, I'll tell this story better the next time I preach. Let me say, I just left my office, there ain't anything on my desk today. Okay, there's no, but the point is a good point. If he told me something like that, there are two ways I could be sh- by which I could be sure. One, I've got to see it with my eyes. Two, I just take him, I take him at his word. You see, Jesus had said to his disciples three times on the way to Jerusalem, we're going to Jerusalem, I'm going to be crucified, they're going to mistreat me, I'm going to be buried, but the third day I'm going to rise from the dead. Thomas could have been sure that Jesus had risen from the dead Simply by believing, simply by trusting. But he insisted on seeing, and since he demanded on being sure on his own terms, what did he do? Think about this. He cut himself off from God's presence, first of all. On that Easter Sunday night, when Jesus came into that room, Thomas didn't get to see the presence of Jesus. He cut himself off. He cut himself off from God's people, and he cut himself off from God's peace. There are a lot of people... In life, something has happened, 
and they don't, they're doubting, they're questioning, where is God? How could God have allowed this? Why would God let us go through something like this? And they don't, ha- they don't get their question answered. And so instead of just putting both of their feet in the boat of faith and saying, I'm trusting God even though I can't see anything, they've allowed those doubts to put them in a corner, to isolate them, to cut them off, and now they're not experiencing God's presence in their life, not, the, not in any kind of meaningful way. They're not experiencing fellowship with the people of God. They've cut themselves off from They don't have any peace in their life. Look at it this way. If you're here today and you say, John, I'm really struggling. I'm a believer, but I'm struggling to trust God with what I'm going through at this time in my life. At least give yourself this. You're here today. You're in God's house. You're in God's pe- You're with God's people. You are in a position to come out of your doubt and into faith. You see, the cure for doubt is faith. So how can I quit doubting? The way to stop, whatever you're doubting, the way to stop doubting is just to say, Jesus, with this situation, I trust you. Faith is the cure to doubt. I trust you, Jesus, with what I'm going through at this time in my life. I I don't understand it. I can't see what you're doing. It doesn't make sense, but I do trust you. Now, notice when we haven't, even in our doubt, even before we come to faith, even in our doubt, if we have an attitude that says, God, I want to keep pursuing you. I'm coming to church on Sunday. I'm reading my Bible every day. I'm having my prayer time. God, I I don't have all my questions answered. God, I still have some doubts, but I'm pursuing you and I'm pursuing faith. God will honor that search. In fact, he did it with uh, Thomas. Look in verse number 26. It says, after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. So this time, Thomas, he still has his doubts. But he's, he's pursuing faith, and he's back with the church. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at my hands, and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. In other words, he was saying to Thomas, Thomas, I see your problem. And I'm trying to lead you out of doubt and into faith. So here are my hands. If that's what it's going to take for you, put your hands in the nail prints. Put your fingers right there. Put your hand in my side, if that's what it's going to take. But then at the end, notice what Jesus says. He says, do not be unbelieving, but believing. So he's saying the way to stop being a doubter, the way to get out of this uh, thing with unbelief is just to believe to make a decision, to make a choice. I am trusting Jesus. What did I say a little earlier? Doubt is a choice. Faith is a choice. And we choose which domain we live in. Are we going to be doubters or are we going to be people of faith or are we going to trust Jesus? And so the cure for our doubt is faith. And then in verse 29, this is one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. Jesus, in verse 28, he answered and said, my Lord and my God. What was Thomas saying? He's saying, Lord, I do trust you. I do believe. And then in verse 29, notice what Jesus said. Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That last sentence in that verse, one of the greatest sentences in all the Bible. I wish we could just memorize that together. Look at it. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Let's say that together. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You see, that's us. We've not seen God. 
We've never seen the nail prints in Jesus' hands. And not only have we not seen the physical presence of Jesus, we can't see all the things he's doing in our lives, the different things he's allowing us to face. We can't see it. And we say, God, I can't see what you're up to. What does this verse say? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That word blessed, it literally means joyful, happy, strong, courageous, peaceful, everything good. It's the same word Jesus used in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed, it means happy on the inside. If you will make a decision, no matter what you're going through in your life, I don't understand it, I can't see it, but I choose to believe. You still listening, by the way? Say amen. I want to make sure. You know, I think by now most of you know what my mom has been going through. We've tried to, as we know, see any significant updates. I think my dad's been sending out a, an email to the church family just so you can know and, and you can be praying for her. And, and in a nutshell, what happened, she'd been having some what she thought was very minor health issues. And, and uh, my dad took her to see her urologist a few weeks ago and and the urologist had said to my mom, he said, Dottie, I, I think you're fine. He said, I do, though, want to do a CAT scan on you just to make sure that nothing more serious is going on than I think is going on. He said, I'm not expecting to find anything, but, but I want to do that CAT scan. So he did the CAT scan about two or three weeks ago. And, and on the CAT scan, he found a large mass on her right kidney. And it really surprised him. And he showed my mom the picture of that. And he said, Dottie... He said, I have to be honest with you, I think this is lymphoma, a, a type of blood cancer. And he said, we're not going to be able to know for sure until you have a biopsy done on this. But he said, I would like while you're here, if your husband's with you, and, and my dad, they had gone down there together. And he said, I'd like to get him back here. And so the nurse came and got my dad back there, and they had this discussion. And so it just, like it has for many of you and your families, you live in your life and and think everything's great, and then just like that, everything can change. In fact, my dad told me later, he said, John, the whole time your mother and I were driving to the doctor's office, the only thing we were talking about was where we were going to have lunch after the visit was over. We weren't even concerned about the visit. We thought he was going to give her a stronger antibiotic or a different antibiotic or something. And, and now this, and so anyway, my mom got signed up to go to MD Anderson and and she's met with a doctor and, and she's going through, and it's just, it's just, like it would do for any family, it has just caught us cold and just kind of been some devastating news. In fact, on the first visit that my mom had with the uh, lymphoma doctor at MD Anderson, uh, the nurse came in and said, Miss Redmond, I just want to ask you a few questions. And she was going through the questions. And she said, at the end of her question, she said, now let me ask you this. She said, do you need a chaplain for any reason? And my mom said, no, I've brought my two pastors with me. I think I'm going to be fine. And my dad and I looked at each other, and I was thinking, she may not need a chaplain, but we need a chaplain. We can't quit crying, and we need, we need some help. But we didn't say anything, and so that visit ended. And a few days later, I drove my parents back down there just so I could be a, a, another set of ears, you know, to, for these appointments. And 
I drove him down there, and she was having her bone marrow test on that particular day. And, of course, my mom, you know, she is, she's just the most, she, she was born with the optimistic gene and with, a, with just an incredible amount of, of positive attitude and faith in God. And, and, and anyway, it's just, a, it's just amazing. She's always, always ha- she's like a little bubble. She's just always happy, like a little light. And she went for her bone marrow, and she, I watched her. She went to the front desk, and she said, uh, I'm Dottie Redmond, and I'm, I'm here to sign up. I need to register for my test. And she was dressed so nice and so looked so good and so happy. And the lady behind the desk said, are you the patient? She said, I don't even think you look like a patient. And she said, I am, and I'm here to get my bone marrow and get that checked out. And so she got that checked out. And she had a PET scan later that day. They check you from head to toe. And, and then a few days later, we went back. This was last week. We went back to meet with the doctor to get the results from all those tests. And so this time, it was not only me and my parents, but my brother had met us down there that day just so we could all hear, you know, what the doctors are saying. And so the doctor, the, the, they came in and they said, well, the good news is the bone marrow has come back negative. And that whatever you have has not spread to the bone. So this is a good thing. And uh, the PET scan, they said, has just revealed a very large renal mass that's taking up a significant part of your, of your abdomen. And so, and, and we knew that. And, and the doctor said, uh, you know, we st- you still got to have your biopsy, which she had on Friday. She'll get the results of that next week. And the doctor said, until we get that, we won't know for sure. But she said, uh, we're thinking that, it is, that it's lymphoma. Well, our family is like your, you know, we cry a lot, we laugh a lot, we pick on each other, we, we enjoy being together. And so when we were in that visit the other day, during part of that, the nurse came in, same nurse that we'd had the first time, and she starts asking my mom, just like a machine gun, question after, like, are you, do you have chills? Do you have fever? Do you have night sweats? Any chest pain or any lightheadedness? Any dizzy, dizziness? All these questions. And my mom's just answering. I mean, I bet she has 50 questions like that. And my mom's saying, no, I don't have, no, no, no. When that nurse got finished, I said, you know, I'm having some of those symptoms myself. <laughs> if maybe you could put me up on this table and check me out. And my brother and dad looked at me like, would you hush your, hush, we're down here. This morning. Well, I was trying to have something light to say. Plus, I was having some of those symptoms, if you must know. <laughs> And so we went on with the visit, and the doctor said to my mom, she said, Miss Redmond, uh, again, until we get the biopsy report, we won't know. It may be something else. She said, but I really think it's lymphoma. And so here's what this means. She said, next Wednesday, we'll have the results of that test. And what you need to do is come back to meet with me again. And she said, on that same day, we're going to set you up for an appointment to have a... Uh, a little pick line put in your put in your arm so they can put the the chemo in and then they said on next Wednesday as soon as our visits over here you'll go immediately into the hospital at MD Anderson and they'll begin administering chemo to you and so my mom uh, you know purely divine and purely human she says to the doctor she said now doctor am I going to lose my hair when they do that and the doctor said Miss Redmond you'll probably lose your hair but it'll grow back. It'll grow back. And she said, that's fine. And so the doctor very graciously said to my mom, she said, uh, Miss Redmond, are there any questions that you have at this point that I could answer for you? I'll be glad to answer any questions. She was very gracious. And my mother said to the doctor, she said, no, I don't have any questions. But if it's okay, there's just one thing I'd like to say. And so the doctor said, absolutely. And she said, well, first of all, She said, I would like to thank you 
for letting me be one of your patients. She said, I respect the fact that you have devoted your whole life to studying lymphoma. You've been to school, you've practiced, this is your calling. And she said, I greatly respect the depth of knowledge that you have. And I just want you to know, whatever you tell me to do is what I'm going to do. So I respect you. She said, but doctor, and she said this in such a succinct and, and uh, non-preachy way. In fact, it was so good. I asked my mom earlier this week, I said, mom, when I get to this part of the sermon, would you mind getting up there and just saying this yourself? She looked at me and smiled. She said, yes, I would mind very much. <laughs> she said, you say it. She said, you'll say it better than I would. I said, no, I'll say it worse than you would, but I'll try to get it close. Here's what my mother said to the doctor. She said, doctor, it is important for me to say to you that I'm a Christian. And as a Christian, I, I trust God with everything. And she said, I believe that before I was ever born, that God numbered out how many days that I would live. And God wrote that number in a book. And she said, Doctor, I just want you to know I'm praying to be healed. I'm trusting God to, be heal to heal me. I'm trusting you to be the hands of God to help bring healing into my body. But she said, Doctor, it is very important for me to say to you that as a Christian, either way this thing goes, I'm okay. And when she got finished saying that, she said, Doctor, would you mind if we just, as a group here, have a word of prayer? The doctor said, that'd be fine. And she looked up at me, which is the last one she should have called on. <laughs> and she said, John, would you mind leading us in a word of prayer? And, of course, this is my mother. I, I, I'll say this. I'm a mama's boy. If anybody ever called me a mama's boy, you know what I would say to them? Thank you. Because next to calling me a Christian, you can pay me no higher compliment. I am a mama's boy, and I'm not trying to be cool and not be one. I guarantee you I'm one. So my mother asked me to pray, and I prayed. And that visit ended, and we kind of all went our own separate ways. And as I was preparing the sermon, I thought about what Jesus said to Thomas. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And I thought, God, that's us. We haven't seen. My mom hasn't seen you. None of us have. We don't know what you're letting going on in our life. But I'll tell you this. I'm experiencing the peace and the joy. You know, two weeks ago tonight during our prayer service, I didn't even call my mom's name that night when I put in a special prayer request. Because I, I knew I couldn't even say, Mom... But I did say that night in that prayer service, somebody in this room tonight needs a miracle. I was talking about my mother. And, and I am one more prone to emotion, but I just completely lost it that night. And that's okay. Tears are okay. That doesn't mean we don't trust God. It just means we love our family. You know, last Sunday I came out here and preached, and I cried a little bit. And, you know, that's okay. It's just part of it. And... A little bit in the first service I did, and maybe a little bit now. And I, cry, I got to crying last night, but not very much. And I, I thought, you know, all last week, I only cried one time. And, uh, and I thought, well, you know, God, you're strengthening. And I, this is another sermon for another day. But I, can, I want to just say this to, your, to the church family. Because, you know, our, our job is to try as best we can to minister to you. Now, we can't do as much as we wish we could. I mean, but we want to be there for you when you're going... But I want to say this, last Sunday, 
just by the fact that you guys were in church and we were all here together, this church ministered to our family. And I just want to say, I can't explain it, but from the time our family left church last Sunday, we have had a peace and a joy. Yes, we've cried some, but we've laughed. We've had peace and we've had joy. And I have just thought, God, it's your presence and it's just being around your people. And that's why I say to you today, you did the right thing coming to church today. You have put yourself in a position, if you're struggling with doubt or anything, for God to pull you out of that and for God to put you in the position of faith. And I want to just say today as I close this sermon, what is true for us at this time in my life with what my mom is going through? It's true for you. And it's true for your family. And your situation may be different, and I hope it is. But you're here today and wondering, and I want to just say to you, whatever you, you can just take this statement literally. Whatever you are going through, if you will trust God, either way, it's going to be all right. As Christian people, when the bottom falls out and the sky falls in, here's what we need to remember. We are always in a win-win situation. Amen? Father, I thank you for Lord Jesus, I thank you for how you brought Thomas out of doubt and into faith. God, I thank you for that thing you said to him, blessed are those who have not seen. And God, we say to you today, that's us. We've not seen. We've not seen your body. We don't understand your plans. We can't see what you're up to. But Lord, as best we can, we believe. Some days our faith is big and strong. Some days our faith is small and weak. But Lord, whether it's a truckload of faith or whether it's a mustard seed of faith, all the faith we have on any given day is in Jesus Christ. In His blood shed for the forgiveness of our sins. In his great plan, in his providence, his sovereignty over our lives. We trust you, Lord. We trust you. And so even though we don't see you, Lord, we make a decision today to believe. Now with your head bowed and eyes closed, what are you doubting God with? What are you questioning? What are you worried about? I don't know what it is, but I know this. You've got a choice to make. To believe or to doubt. And if you'll make a decision right now to believe, you're going to be blessed with peace, with joy, with courage, with strength, beyond anything you could ever have imagined under the circumstances. If you will make a decision to believe. You say, John, how do I how exactly do I do that? Here's how you do it. Right now, you just say to Jesus, Jesus, with this situation in my life, I choose to believe. I trust you. For those of you today who may be doubting your salvation, you wonder and you struggle and maybe you're saved and maybe you're not. I lived in that quagmire for a long, long time. You say, John, how did you come out of that cesspool of doubt, that quicksand of doubt? I'll tell you how I came out. One night I said to Jesus, Jesus, I have asked you to save me. Right now, I trust you to do it.
And when I started trusting Jesus, my doubts, the shackles of that fell off and I got set free. And today, if you'll just ask Jesus, maybe one last time, just say, Jesus, I ask you to save me and to forgive my sins. And as I ask you right now, I trust you to do it. I trust you. I don't demand to know on my own terms. I don't look for a sign or ask for a feeling. I stand on your promise that if I would trust you, you would save me. And I do trust you, Jesus, with all my heart. Friend, if you have prayed that, it's settled forever. You've moved into the boat of faith. And now you're trusting Jesus. Father, I pray for those who've just been saved, or maybe they've been saved a long time before today, that you would give them the courage during this next song to come down to the front and let it be known to others. Others here today, God, who need to join our church, they just know in their heart they need to be a part of this family. Maybe it's their first time to worship here. Maybe they've been here many times before. But God, would you just, would you just give them the courage today to come forward and to become a part of our church family? God, they need us, and the truth is we need them. We need each other. Iron sharpens iron. May there be a freedom of your spirit during this next song. Is our prayer in Jesus' name. And all the people said.